Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the weekend. It is Marsh Dreams Solo Performer Spotlight. And tonight we have Don Reed and Kate Robards doing a live performance. And then after their performances, we'll do a Q&A. But first, let me tell you what's going on at Marsh Dream. As you know, we started this, we pivoted this. Have I mentioned who I am? If you don't know, I'm Stephanie Wiseman, Artistic Director and Founder of The Marsh and Marsh Dream. And we have put together a whole digital platform during this quarantine because we want to be there for you and we want you to be there for us too. So on uh, Monday nights, we have the Monday Night Marsh stream with short performances. On Tuesday, this Tuesday, Wild Card Tuesday, this Tuesday is Ellen Hoffman's Sing Along. So if you want to sing along, there's lyrics and everything, and you don't have to, your audio will be off. So it doesn't matter how you sing, it's just the energy. And we call this Good Tunes for Strange Times. On Wednesday, it's Solo Arts Heal, and this week we have Valerie David's The Pink Hulk, survivor of cancer three times because she's a superhuman pink hulk. And on Thursday, we have Stephanie's Marsh Stream, and this week I will be interviewing Dan Hoyle. So thrilled about that. Friday, we have Bingo with Josh Kornbluth, the most iconoclastic, incredible bingo in maybe the entire world. And then we're back to the weekends. And every day we have youth programs at four, and then we have CJ's fitness things at noon and all kinds of things. So please look at our website. Uh, if you feel like it, give us a tip in our tip jar to support us because we don't have any ticket sales right now, as you probably know. Also, uh, sign up and become a YouTube subscriber. And then the next thing, if you have some comments to put in the chat about how you feel about Marstream and you feel about tonight, feel free to chat along. Okay, so tonight, 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 tonight. First, we're gonna have a performance by Kate Robards. Kate Robards is a marsh, marsh, marsh performer, but she lives in the big, big city, the Big Apple right now. She goes back and forth. And we've we have run many of her shows and developed them with her, Ain't That Rich, Polly Shamari. And we are so glad to introduce our first performer tonight, Kate Robards. Hey everyone, hi, I'm Kate, yes, yes, and um, I'm from a small town on the Texas-Louisiana border. Um, it's, yeah, it's rural, it's, it's really different from places like San Francisco, and I <laughs> married someone who was rich, 
And I would always tell everyone, this is my husband. He's really rich. And he would say, Kate, that's not a nice thing to say about someone. I'd be like, I'm sorry. Um, this is my husband. He's really entitled. <laughs> you see where I'm from in Texas, what we thought of as a rich person was someone who owned like a funeral home or a fence company. In fact, the son of the funeral home married the daughter of the fence company and it was like the royal wedding. <laughs> My family did not get the invite. And what we thought of as middle class, well, that was like a woman planting flowers in her yard in her old toilet, you know. She moved it to the front yard as a planter. That's fine ceramic. It don't seem right to take it to the dump. All it's seen is dumps. I'm going to give it some petunias, not petunias. <laughs> and uh, my single mom was always paying for things like donuts and, and boudin balls with quarters and loose change. A boudin ball is Cajun. It is dirty rice, deep fried. It's a delicacy where I'm from. And the other thing that's different about where I'm from is that we had all of these stray dogs. You know, it's super rural. And this one dog was my favorite because she would do a leap that just made her look totally pathetic. I, I was always embarrassed about not having enough money. And one day when my mom came home, I was like, you know, I went over to this small town rich person's house and why can't we live in a home like that? And my mom said, well, honey, you know, um, her, their, their father has a good job and her mom, all she does is, is clean house. And I could force you to make up your bed every day and spend your time, you know, cleaning it up. But I would much rather you spend your time reading and playing outside than chasing what's pretty and perfect. And she would say, you know, if you want to be rich, you are so rich. If you just use your heart and your mind and your imagination now go read a book. I'm like, but mom, I don't want to be that kind of rich. I want to be real rich. You know, the kind that shows without having to open your mouth or a book. And I don't want to read a stupid book. And she would just say, you know, honey, I don't have time for this. Um, go, you know, go to bed and get out of my face. And I told her, I actually heard you talking about our neighbor, Sheila, you said that she slept with a man for a new roof. <laughs> she said, Catherine Abigail, I got to watch what I say around you. Don't you repeat that. And I said, well, you should know if I grow up and I live in a house that has holes in the roof that we have to put pots and pans under during a storm, I would sleep with a man for a new roof. She said, sleep with a man for a new roof. You want me to be a prostitute? But I was raised in the church. So I, of course, said, Jesus's best friend was a prostitute. <laughs> but Jesus couldn't save me that time. You know, I actually used to think that my calling in life was to be a youth minister, preaching the words of Jesus Christ as a vessel. But then I got a little older and realized I just like a captive audience. So thank you so much for being here. Marsh, Martians. Um, I, I always was like finding ways to hide 
being poor because, you know, being poor was like watching your mom take a tin can of coins to the bank to have the teller turn the pennies, nickels, and dimes into dollar bills only to have the teller um, count it all out and say, there's 2433, but the bank has a policy that we can't give you cash from the coin counter when you're OD overdrawn and you're overdrawn. With this 2433, you would still owe us 72 cents. She would say, I could call the bank officer for special permission, but you see, it's a small town and my mom knows the bank officer. So then we would go to the grocery store and count the pennies, nickels and dimes. And my mom would always say, Katie, just remember pennies, nickels and dimes. People will always take your money. It's like when I was in second grade, my mom was so proud about not going on free lunch food stamps. And so she would make my lunch every day. And one day I was like, mom, you forgot to put my little Debbie snack in there. And she said, um, no, no, honey, I did. I did. And the next day I said, there's no little Debbie snack in here. And she said, oh, well, I put it in there. And we realized when I switched class, a girl who's much poorer than me, who's on free lunch and doesn't get a little Debbie snack was stealing mine. But instead of telling on her and getting her in trouble, we would let her steal mine in my lunch box. And she, my mom would pack an extra one in my backpack for me. And in a way that's sharing and caring, you know, it's like, you know, working your way through college with five jobs and still taking out student loans. And one of those jobs is at a restaurant and your car broke down. You know, you need to get it fixed. So you get someone to drop you off at work. And the first person you see of the day, you say, hi, welcome to Caraba's Italian Grill. We are so happy to have you here tonight. And the person you're greeting says, you cannot honestly be that happy to be working here. And inside you're like, no, I'm not. I actually hate this job and I hate rude people like you. If you really want to know, there's a manual and the manual tells me exactly what to say and how to say it with a smile. But instead you just say, can I get you any appetizers or drinks to get started with? And when you go back to the kitchen to place their order, that skeezball manager who gives special treatment to the people who flirt with them and go out with them, they make a pass at you, but you dodge them. You make it through your shift. You call up your mom who cannot help you out with extra money, but who can listen to your problems. And you say, mom, if only I would fuck my manager, my life would be so much better. And your mom says, oh, honey, I raised you better than that. If you are going to sleep your way to the top, do not sleep your way to the top of Carabas in Beaumont, Texas. And you're like, yeah. He, and she says, you know, you need to think big picture. I'm like, you mean like Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos? And she says, no, Outback Steakhouse. I want a blooming onion. I always used to judge people on how they dressed because I assumed if they dressed better, they had more money and they could probably tip me better and they probably had a better life. 
It's why I once spent a thousand dollars on a handbag. Now, this handbag costs more than my rent, my car note, my cell phone bill, and all of my bills combined. It was a Louis Vuitton, a piece of canvas and leather sewn together in Italy. And I, and I go to my mom's house and I say, mom, what do you think? And she's like, you think you look cute? <laughs> you look stupid. Honey, that handbag costs you more than any money you can put inside. Put that down, take off your shoes and socks and come with me to the backyard. <laughs> and I just know my mom doesn't get it, you know, but I put down the handbag and I follow my mom to the backyard. And when I see my back, my mom's backyard, she has this garden that has no rhyme or reason. There's planting pots littered everywhere. And she just guides me to the green. And she says, lay down. I'm like, mom, I don't want to. I'm wearing seven for all mankind designer jeans that I got on sale, but I do want to make my mom happy. And so like a thing my mom does is she lies in the grass. And once when I was in high school, my friend Nikki was dropping me off and my mom was lying in the grass in the front yard. And Nikki was like, is she okay? I said, uh, yeah, she does this. She just lies in the grass. She's totally crazy. But I lay down and, you know, the, the white fluffy clouds float across the sky and the green leaves on the oak dance against the sky that's so blue. And I see a butterfly and a bumblebee and then a roseate spoonbill. And I realized that my pants have gotten muddy and I'm like, mom, I ruined my pants. Now I have to change. And before I go inside, she says, Katie, just tell me one thing. Does that handbag, does that handbag make you feel this? And I'll never remember my answer. I have no idea what I said to her, but I will never forget her question. You know, the way that the handbag made me feel is obviously not the same, but the handbag was my emblem to everyone else to say, I have worth, I have money. You should treat me like someone who has money. And that's really all I wanted. And after college, I was still working at the restaurant, asking everyone, do you know a job that would let me travel? Do you know a job that would let me travel? Because I knew I had to get out of Southeast Texas. And my high school choir teacher says, you should meet Brad Melton. He's a former choir student of mine. He was going to go play baseball at Panola Junior College, but I said, you got the gift. And I got him a full scholarship to LSU for vocal performance. And then from LSU, he went to Yale, the Ivory League. Now, he is an opera singer, but his wife is one of the top three sopranos in the world, and they need a nanny. So I go over and I meet them, and he's like, come on in, Orange, Texas girl. You want a beer? I'm like, uh, is this a test? 
And he says, no, I just got a new Amber box. So anyway, I hear you're good people from my hometown and the job's real simple. You know, me and my wife just got the one kid. My mom raised four of us on her own and you'll travel with my wife and the kid. Um, I think she's going to Brussels, Amsterdam, Chicago, Puerto Rico. It pays. I was like, you better sign me up. And then the next thing I know, I am traveling the world with this two-year-old and then he's a three-year-old and then he's a four-year-old, but we are seeing everything wide-eyed and new for the first time. And in each of these cities, I date like a maniac, you know, just to meet someone older than four online dates. And I get it down to a perfect art form. So you always meet the dates on in an open space, you know, that way, if you don't like them, you can just leave. You don't even have to be sitting with coffee. And the week I arrive in Washington, DC, where the opera diva is performing the role of Chocho San and Madame Butterfly with Placido Domingo conducting, I meet Josh. He's a second year law student. Our plan to walk the National Mall turns into a seven hour date and it's cold and he has on these fingerless gloves. And I'm like, what's up with the gloves? And he says, oh, I live in an old auto body shop and it's so cold inside that I have to wear gloves inside to text. And I cut the fingers out of these so that I could text inside. I'm like, okay, well, I got these gloves from Marshall's. 10 bucks, right? And they have technology in the fingers that lets you text. It's worth the splurge. I'm thinking, here's this poor law student. He can't even afford heat. But the first time I see his apartment, okay, it is huge brick walls, double height ceilings, beautiful hardwood floors. It looks like the home of a grown-up. It looks like no college student I had ever seen. The furniture doesn't match, but it doesn't match in that like, you know, design within reach kind of way. And we keep going out, spending our every spare minute together. A couple of weeks later on Valentine's Day, he brings me flowers and I'm like, wow, they're beautiful. And um, we go to see, we go to see plays and um, he takes me to his law school cabaret, which was truly the worst theater I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and um, eventually I crash at his apartment. And when I go there, it's almost like a little, it's like a little too perfect. Um, I almost run out of there, but I crash. And in the morning when I wake up, it's to the smell of bacon. And I follow the scent to the kitchen and see him standing there cooking all of this delicious fatty pork, like the bad Jew he is. And then he says the words, I have been dreaming of a man to ask me my entire life. Do you want your eggs fried in bacon fat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't believe in cholesterol. Me either. I have finally found someone who agrees with me on the most important things in my life. And then he says, you know, I'm falling in love with you. You should move to DC. 
I'm like, I love you too, but move to DC. I can't move to DC. I have a good job. I'm the opera nanny. We're going to Santa Fe in two months, actually. So the next time I see him, he gives me a necklace with silver and turquoise. It sounds hideous, but it was from Barney's RIP. And that card says, in case you don't make it to Santa Fe. I was like, this is a lot, um, but I'm definitely going to Santa Fe. And then um, he comes over again with flowers and that card reads, don't go far off, not even for a day because, because I don't know how to say it, a day is long. <laughs> I'm like, it's so sweet. I found out later it was Neruda, but still, you know, <laughs> I was like, I can't move in with you. You know, if I did move in with you, my whole family in Texas would have to meet you. He's like, okay, let's go today. Let's go tomorrow. Let's go whenever you want. I'm like, what? He said, look, Kate, <laughs> you know, people in my life, you know, we don't care about things like jobs or, or money. You know, money is not important. You're so caught up on money. Um, we can go whenever you want. My dad actually sold his company for eight figures and I'm really bad at math. So I'm like eight figures in my head. All I see is figure skaters, you know, eight of them. And they're like twirling around and around and around. And I have no idea how much money would be enough money for a girl like me to not even worry about money. But eight figures sounds like it could be enough, you know? <laughs> and he says, you know, we'll get to go where we want and do where we want and you'll find meaningful work, but I got the rest covered. And one part of me is looking at this man and thinking, this isn't right. You know, you've been working since you were a kid. You've been traveling the world. Yes, but you've been traveling the world working. You, you need to stand on your own two feet. Don't get your head in the clouds. But then another part of me looks at this amazing man and this amazing apartment and thinks, I live here now. <laughs> And the next thing I know, I'm on a plane to Texas with my boyfriend next to me. And I'm nervous because, you know, my house is not like his and my mom and like, how do I explain my brother? And I remember, I don't know how long I've got. I think I'm done. Am I done, Stephanie? Who's stopping me? Is that where I'll stop? I'll stop. Okay. I think you should finish up. Okay. So I'll finish up. I've got a few more minutes. So I'm on the plane and I'm like, what am I going to say about my mom and my brother? And so the thing about having a single mom and a big brother for me meant my mom would usually be working late. And so she would have my big brother watch me. And with my brother, Logan, watching me, that meant he would be smoking weed and drinking with his friends in the backyard. And I would usually be in my room, like working on my dance routines. Woo! And um, I had a rule, like I didn't want his, my brother's friends in my room because it was my friend, my room. And one day 
someone knocks at the door and I look and it's Daisy Vance. Now, usually I don't like my brother's friends in my room, but Daisy Vance is this beautiful teenage angel with bad teeth. Okay. Her name is known in like three school districts because she's so beautiful. And also because, and now this is horrible, but because she was a slut. Okay, now I would never say that. I'm against slut shaming. And I found out later her mom kicked her out of her house when she was like 12 and she'd been living with boyfriends. But she comes over, she's in my room and she's beautiful. And my room has like some rotten floorboards and the furniture doesn't match. And I tried to do this sponge paint design effect on the walls, but it did not turn out like HGTV. And I'm about to hold up an old Southern living and say, I wish my room looked like this, but she is looking around at everything. And her eyes are so blue, like a precious moments doll. And she just goes, wow. It is like so cool. You got your own room. And she is genuine open, high as fuck, but I know that she means it, you know, for whatever reason, she has never had a room that was just her own, that she could fill with things that she loves, and maybe she could only love people, but all I knew was that I didn't need to apologize to Josh or anyone else for my home not being perfect. That's mining your life experience. That was wonderful, Kay. Thank you. That was uh, we'll have a Q&A after, but that was from uh, Ain't That Rich, is that correct? Okay. All right. We'll talk later. Thank you again. And now let me introduce Don Reed. He's an award-winning solo performer. If you've seen him at the Marsh, you've seen East 14th, you've seen the Kipling Hotel, that Don Reed show. He's also on TV. He's on Bartlett right now. He was the warm-up comic for Jay Leno. But most of all, he's a friend and he's a real Marsh supporter. A Marsh mensch is what I was trying to come out with. Okay. So let's oh, no. welcome Don Reed. Hey, everybody. Hey, 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 hey. Um, <clears throat> I've always wanted to do this thing because uh, I saw the word potpourri. And I always want to do something called potpourri, which is a bunch of anecdotes and stories picked from different times in my life. Uh, some of you may have heard a little some of this in other parts. For sure, one story you haven't heard um, the whole thing in its entirety ever. But it's potpourri tonight. Potpourri right now. <laughs> That's my little intro, okay? So check it out. I'm so glad that Kate, Ron Walter Kate, I'm so uh, glad that she covered something about working in a restaurant. Because my first little anecdote is about a time when I was uh, hired to work as a waiter in San Leandro at a place called Horatio's. At the time, Horatio's was a fairly upscale restaurant, fairly nice, down in San Leandro. But um, the thing was, they had a ship theme. 
It was a ship's theme. And we all had to wear these costumes, for lack of a better phrase. Had to wear these costumes, had to wear knickers, little, little you know, navy blue uh, knickers that stopped at the knee and these white socks. And um, <clears throat> we had to wear uh, these black uh, shoes with these big pirate-like swashbuckling buckles on them and these uh, skipper or sailor type shirts with these red stripes, you know, like like Popeye the Sailor, hey, Olive, hey, Olive, like Popeye the Sailor Man type top with the big flap, almost like a, not unlike a little pimp flap and a red bow. So we had to wear this crazy little costume. And I walk in one day ready to do my job at Horatio's as a waiter. And uh, the general manager says, hey, uh, Don, uh, I need to speak to you in my office. Come on, come on, talk to the boss. And he says, um, uh, have a seat. I'm like, can I just stand up? I'm about to start. He said, no, no, go ahead and sit down. It's like, Don, um, I want to talk to you about the about the enthusiasm behind your ahoys. When you greet the table, you're supposed to say ahoy, and you're not really giving it much. I'm like, I, I do it, I, I do do it. He said, no, it's, it, need, it needs more. And so now I like you stand up and uh, throw me a couple of ahoys because we want to get this right. I'm like, really? He's like, now, do it. So I stand up, he said, go ahead. I'm like, um, <clears throat> ahoy, man. He said, oh no, there's, there's no man in there. There's, there's no man. We need a hoy and give me it with some oomph behind it. So I'm like, ahoy. He's like, you know what, Don is missing something. It's lacking something. I, th I think it's called commitment. Okay, Don, commit and give me an ahoy with some fire behind it. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give it to him. Here he goes. So I'm like, ahoy. He's like, that's what I'm looking for. Do that every time you greet a table. So I'm out there, it's like, I'm gonna show him at every toy, every single table. I'm like, ahoy, ahoy, ahoy. And he's like, I didn't say go that far. Bring it down, bring it out. Uh, so that turned back on him. Anyway, that's a little thing that happened, my ahoy story. But check this out. Um, uh, years later, I got booked in, um, I got booked in Las Vegas. I was performing in Vegas for 30 days at the Frontier Hotel. And it was the hotel where Siegfried and Roy performed. But they gave us this experimental daytime comedy show, six comedians in the daytime doing stand-up at like three o'clock in the afternoon. Bizarre time to have a comedy show, but we did. Anyway, I would rehearse in my hotel room. They gave us these incredible hotel rooms. And I'd be in my hotel room and I had sound effects of different animals in my uh, comedy act. So I'll be in my room one, one morning, like 11 o'clock, I'm practicing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm practicing my sounds. And I had this bit, I had this one bit about uh, dogs. And the bit kind of went like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my impersonation of a dog barking from three blocks away. And I go, <laughs> A dog barking from across the street. I say a pit bull in your face. How about that? Right? So that was the bit. Anyway, I'm practicing my bark. Practicing in my room. I went out in the hallway and the maids were out there. 
And they kind of looked, I said, hey, how you guys doing? They're like, hey, okay, okay. And these two maids were in the hallway with their little, you know, little, you know, cart. And I'm walking up the hallway. And I hear them, one of them say to the other one, hey, Brenda, Brenda, uh, are you going to do room 128? And Brenda said, I ain't going in there. There's a German shepherd in there. I ain't going in there. Right? And I was like, oh, my God, look at them tripping. They're scared. They're all scared because they think it's a dog, but it's me, right? So I go to my show. I'm like, <laughs> look at them tripped out, all terrified, right? So I go to do my show in the afternoon. And every day after our show, the hotel had a big spread for us, a big spread in the dressing room. They had, you know, uh, fine wines and sandwiches and different kind of food and sliced cheeses and all this stuff. But I never, ever had any of it the whole time I was there. The whole time I was there, because people would say, hey, Don, you coming with us? Come on, we're going to go back to the to the green room and eat. Come on. And I'm like, I'm not going back there. There's white tigers back there. I'm not going back there. Because Siegfried and Roy had a whole show there. I kept, every day I'm thinking, like, any day, like, <laughs> they're going to hop out from around the corner. It's not going to be a good moment. So I did not ever enjoy the wonderful feast. So check it out. Um, this is a throwback story, a throwback story. Um, my father, as you guys know from East 14, Donnie, baby, check this out, right? My father and mother, when they got dressed to go out, it was a big event, a big event. And my father made it even a bigger event because he would lay all of his clothes out on the bed in detail. The pants, the shirt, the jacket, the shoes at the bottom of the pants. And the most important thing, the coup de grace was the hat. He had to have the hat. The hat was the top off of the whole thing. So one day my father's getting ready and he says to my mother, listen here, all right? Uh, I'm going out tonight with the fellas and you ain't going. I'm going out by myself. My mother's like, oh, is that right? So I'm not going. Okay, 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 right? My father said, that's right. So my father's in there getting ready, you know, listening to music back then, boom, 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 boom. Oh, sugar pie. Honey bun, you know that I love you. I can't help my ooh. And he's getting ready. He's like, Donnie, baby, I'm gonna kill him. Look at the sky blue, baby blue pants. Look at the shoes. Look at the way the shirt goes with that. And look at the hat. Don't forget the hat, right? So he goes in the shower and he gets ready, puts on his cologne, puts on his pants, shirt, belt, jacket. And he can't find his hat. He's like, where's my hat? Where's my hat? Where's, where's my hat? He walked in the living room and my mother was standing in the living room with his hat, just looking at him, right? He's like, what, 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 what you about to do? What you about to do? My mother took the hat, put it in the chair and she sat down on it and just scrunched it like, uh, 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 and got up I sat down on the couch. My father went in the back room, took off his whole sky blue outfit, put on his pajama pants and a t-shirt and sat down next to my mother, a broken man. Without the hat, he was nothing. The end of that story. My father always had um, some interesting stories to tell me though, things that happened to him when he was younger, right? So one time my father said, um, 
there's a guy named Dalboy. You might remember Dalboy, the bully from my father's childhood when he's like 10 years old. The guy's name was Dalboy. And he was a ass, ooh, always, you know, slapping my father beside the head, punch him in the chest, kick him in the ass in front of girls. That was Dalboy's thing, right? Just always creating problems. And my father was always plotting, always plotting to get back at him. And my father always did get back at him, right? So one day, my father said he was walking with the bully Dalboy. They're friends, but he would be bullying them all the time. They were going to the laundry. And my father said, back then, you carried your laundry on your head, like back in Africa, right? You carry your laundry on your head down to the laundromat, wash it, bring it back. So he's walking, you know, with Dalboy. And the whole time, Dalboy's thumping his ear, punching him in the chest, kicking him in the ass. My father's trying to balance the laundry. Like, what are you doing, man, right? And he's trying to plot, how can I get back? How can I get back? How can I get back? So they go, my father washes the clothes. He's heading back home, you know, and Dalboy's stumping him in the ear, kicking him in the ass, punching him in the side while he's carrying the laundry. Like, Dalboy, stop, man. Cut it out, right? So my father got an idea. He got an idea. He said he took the laundry down off his head and he bent down to tie a shoe. So he tied his shoe, and while he tied his shoe, he placed a rock inside the laundry and put it back up on the top of his head. So he's got the laundry, and he's got the rock in there. And he's walking, Delway's kicking him, punching him. So my father said he went up. They were walking near some train tracks. My father went up because the train tracks were built, rocks, and then the rails. He said he went up this little incline and was up top, up there. And Delway's on the bottom, just hanging out. My father said he timed it out just right. And he got the rock and hit Dalboy pow, in the back of the head on an angle, like, oh, right? And Dalboy's like, ah, ah, fell down on the ground. Oh my God, somebody hit me in the head with a rock. What the hell's going on? My father said he went down on his knees and was attending to him, going like, oh, that's messed up. I can't believe somebody did that to you. So that's what he did. Pow, got Dalboy in the head with a big ass rock. The cartoons, right? So check it out. Um, this fa my father had um, odd stories he'd tell me. And one of the stories he told me while he's getting dressed, um, and it's just like an odd thing I just wanted to mention. My father said, I'm gonna ask you something, baby, okay? If somebody was asleep and somebody punched him in the jaw as hard as possible, would they wake up and then pass out? Or would they go deeper in the shit they already in? Think about that for a second, all right? <laughs> that totally trips me out. Okay, so check out this story. Um, when I was um, when I was really young, really young, I guess maybe when I was uh, eight, nine years old, I would watch like um, shows with doctors on them, and I always thought like, hey, maybe one day I would be a doctor. I thought about it, you know. And uh, so, in the tenth grade. I was in my um, in my biology class, and my biology teacher, his name was Dr. Bandar, and Dr. Bandar was this wild guy. He had wild hair, but very interesting science teacher, and he taught biology. I'm in the tenth grade, right? And I'm in that at that time, you know, I I was into homosynthesis, okay, and I was very trying to be as scholastic as possible, but I wasn't doing that well in that class. Anyway, the very first day. Dr. Bandar walked in, 30 students sitting there, right? Everybody's sitting there. And he walked up 
and he placed a glass jar of crickets on the table. He opened it and put one in his mouth. He said, this is going to be a very interesting class. I'm like, oh, it definitely is going to be a very interesting class, right? So Dr. Bandar was enthusiastic, though. He's enthusiastic. Okay, here's what we want to do. We're talking about, um, talking about green chlorophyll. We're talking about chlorophyll today. He'd be like acting it out and way into it. Very um, enthusiastic teacher. But I wasn't doing that great. Um, I was doing pretty good on the sales stuff because I was drawing the sales pretty good. He's like, metaphase, today, anaphase, and he'd be all excited and stuff. But I was getting C plus at the best, and my drawing is the only thing keeping me kind of in the mix. So at one point, we had an anatomy test. And for some reason, I took to it like a fish to water. I'm like, okay, okay, I see what's going on here. And I did incredibly well on the anatomy, learned every muscle and bone in the human body. And for the first time, he would always put the, the highest score, the test on the board. And everybody could pick theirs up from the bottom on a table, but whoever had the best score, I walked up and I said, Donald Reed, A plus on anatomy. Physiology, same thing. I got caught up in like, and I kept thinking, that's right, I'm gonna be a doctor. I'm gonna be a doctor. And I got like blades in my hand, I'm gonna be a doctor. So now at some point I move over with my father, I'm moving over there and um, I tried to be cool, but cool wasn't working. So I stuck with my nerd perspective is that I knew every muscle and bone in the human body and it was blowing people in the hood's minds completely. I, they, they said, check this out, check this out. He know every muscle and bone in the human body. Hold on, well, let me focus, where, where are you, man? Okay, th there you are, I can see better on this angle, look. Uh, he know every muscle and bone in the human body, break it down. And Junebug, that was his real name, Junebug and his crew would encircle me and I go down the human body. Abicularis oculi, abicularis oris, pectoralis major, deltoids, external oblique, biceps femoris, metatarsals. I was like breaking it and they're like, oh my God, he knows it all. And the girl's like, oh my God, he all smart and shit, okay? He gonna be a doctor, okay? And I was excited, I was gonna be a doctor. I was into it, boom. And I was telling, family members and telling people, they meet me, I'm like, I wanna be a doctor, I'm gonna be a doctor. So I was in junior college, I entered junior college and I got in some pre-med classes and I hopped right in them and I was dedicated, advanced classes in biology, I was doing really well, like I'm gonna be a doctor. Um, in the meantime, uh, I was dealing with um, uh, being in speech classes and it was going well because I knocked on a hell of doors as a Tehovah Sidness. So I was killing it in them speech classes, right? But anyway, one day I'm walking across campus into the, um, the cafeteria and there was this guy dressed like Jesus Christ. Well, why Jesus Christ? If we really look into it, they said in the Bible that Jesus Christ's hair was like lamb's wool, which means he's like a brother or brown at the least. But anyway, he was a white looking Jesus Christ, right? With his hair parted down the center and he had a, you know, or like a white robe on his walking this. And he walked right up to me and he said, mucus. I'm like, huh? He said, your body is full of mucus. Show me your hands. I was like, okay. He said, look here. See, you cannot see the cuticle. If you can't see the cuticle, that means your body is full of mucus. I was like, oh God. He said, let's change your diet. Now he was on the right track because I was really into some crazy eating avenues. I had this thing where I would buy a donut, 
put butter all over it, put it in the broiler so it would melt and it'd be like a small little teeny swimming pool of butter. Gross, but delicious to me. I used to uh, cut lawns so I could have my own toast. I, my stepfather, when I was living there, was like, no, no, you can't have all the toast in the world, boob. You're not doing that. So I would literally buy a whole loaf of Roman mill bread and make eight pieces of toast at a time with butter and jelly. Anyway, maybe that's why I had the, the buildup in my body. So the guy's like, you know, you need to be a fruitarian. So I got into being a fruitarian and I got locked into it. That's all I ate was fruits, fruits, no vegetables, no meats, no nothing, no proteins, just fruit only. And walking around with the attitude, sucking on lemons. Yeah, I realize, you realize you're eating death, right? You realize that's death and this is life and I'm having right there with that little attitude, right? And one Thanksgiving, I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in uh, my bedroom and everybody was sitting there ready to have the big Thanksgiving dinner with macaroni and cheese and sweet potato pies and all that. And I walked in, I didn't sit down. I was sitting there with my lemon in the doorway. Super judgmental. Can't believe you guys realized what that turkey went through before you ate it. Oh God, it's just disgusting. My father said, all right, boy. And I was sitting there looking at it. No protein in me at all going like, within her way. Yeah, y'all, y'all ain't gonna make it eating like that. You ain't gonna. My father said, boy, you better get some protein in your body before you pass out, right? Eventually I did. But anyway, here I am, and everybody's still saying, Donnie's going to be a doctor. Donnie's going to be a doctor. I'm saying I'm going to be a doctor, right? And I got into uh, one of my classes, and they were talking about how they felt surgeons were too quick to do a surgery. And I got introduced to a homeopathic avenue of uh, healthcare being a chiropractor. So then I decided I'm going to be a chiropractor. That's what I'm going to do. I don't want to cut people up. I want to be a chiropractor. And so that was my goal. And I got in, um, uh, they wanted all the, uh, they wanted you to take more speech classes if you're going to be a chiropractor so you could defend because they thought a lot of chiropractors were quacks. And so I took the speech classes. In the speech class, uh, the instructor was going like, you're really good at this speaking. Her name's Patty Keeling Haynes. She's like, you're really good at this speaking. You might want to look into that. And so uh, one day, uh, my father announced that he was getting married again. So the second wife, we moved to his second wife's mother. So my step-grandmother's house, she had three homes, and she let us live in there. But my step-grandfather lived there. He drank a lot. He's like, boy, you're going to be somebody. I'm telling you, you're going to be somebody. But one day, I was downstairs. I was downstairs in the house, and everybody started going, And I knew it was serious. I knew this wasn't a joke. You're like, Donnie, Donnie, come here. And they call me because I had presented this energy that I'm going to be a doctor. And they pull my step-grandfather out of the bathtub. He'd passed out in the bathtub. And they laid him on the bed. And I turned him on his side and started getting a ton of water out of him. A ton of water was just coming out. Yeah, Donnie, Donnie, do it, Donnie. And a lot of water kept, water kept, water kept coming out of his mouth. And then paramedics showed up and I stepped back and they worked on him. But they couldn't save him. They couldn't save him. And so they wheeled him out. 
And the funeral was in a few days. We had it pretty quickly. And there's this uh, a friend of mine at the time named Lamont. He said, let's drink what your grandfather liked. And we had all this tangy ray gin. We drank all this tangy ray gin. And I felt horrible the next day. One of the worst hangovers I ever had in my life. And I said, I got no business trying to be a doctor if I can't even save my own, can't even save my own grandfather. And so I went back to school and I was in my speech class. And to this day, I don't think she ever even knew it. I don't think my professor, Patty Keeling, even knew that's what had happened during that window of time. That the doctor couldn't save his grandfather. But I was in class and she said, Don, you got a gift for speaking. I don't think you are supposed to be a doctor. I think you're supposed to be a chiropractor. I think you're supposed to be a comedian. I really do. I think you're supposed to be a comedian. And I started doing the humorous events and they went really, really well. And then I got recruited to UCLA. And then I started doing comedy, performing, acting, doing voiceover. They say laughter is the best medicine. I think it actually is. Potpourri. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. Hey, Don. Where are you? Oops. Hi, Don. Don, yeah. where are you? Where are you? I'm right here. Can you see me? There you are. That was great. That thank was you, thank you. great. Thank you. I don't think I knew you were trying to be a chiropractor. Yeah, I think I, it's always been too busy a thing to insert in the shows. And so it was complicated. Like, when were you doing that? But uh, it's another uh, part of uh, something that's going to be in the new show, We Be Clubbing. So I'm going to be addressing more of that window of time. Well, that's good. That's really good. All right. So. You know, there's a, so many people here tonight. I want to thank you all for joining us and joining us on this solo spotlight weekend. Um, and now we're going to do some Q&A with Don and Kate. Um, yes. can, I'm wondering, can we do a split screen? A split uh, screen? Is it possible to do Don and Kate in a split screen? I can't even say it. Split screen, Mr. Producer Man Brian. Is that a possibility? It is not, Stephanie. Sorry. <laughs> oh, well, we'll have to go between Don and Kate. Thank you, Brian, our wonderful producing manager. Okay, so I know that there's at least one question I saw in the chat, and this is for Kate. And uh, Sam Krantz asks, what happened to boyfriend in the story, Kate? Um, we got married and 
And then we got divorced. So clearly he didn't see my shows. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so you got married, Kate, and then you were rich for a while? I was. It was amazing. I highly recommend it if you get the chance. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm not. And now I'm not, you know, because <laughs> I'm doing this show. Well, you look rich. Don't you worry. You still look rich. Yes. Thank you. And heart and resources and love and friendship and all of those things. Yeah. And stories. You're rich and you're rich, rich, rich. Oh, there's somebody here. Um, Rod Williams says, hey, Don, do you know him? He's I from absolutely do. I, huh? We, we talk all the time on a Facebook Messenger. We send each other funny stuff. He sends me a ton of hilarity. We worked on ships, on cruise ships back in the 90s. <laughs> and he's from Australia. Australia's in our, our uh, spotlight tonight. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to just start. So if you have some questions, you could raise your hands. But I just... First, we're gonna have a question right now. Don, I want you to ask Kate a question. You want me to ask Kate a question? Yes. Um, let's see, okay. Kate, okay, so I'm into like details of visual things and I could see the rotted floor or the bad floor in the bedroom with the beautiful girl with the bad teeth. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know how bad was the flooring really? Okay, so the, the truth, this is, um, my mom had this, my mom, the house that I grew up in, it was covered with carpet, you know, like shag carpet in the 60s or 70s or something. Well, yeah. you know, I was in the 90s. So my mom had decided that this carpet was garbage. And so she wanted to pull it up. So we, it was a project of pulling up this shag carpet. And she decided that underneath were these beautiful parquet floors. And she said, we're going to pull up the carpet and it's going to be these beautiful parquet floors. And let me tell you, the house was not that big, but for whatever reason, you know, it's like a 12 year old girl. Like I, you know, I was probably even younger, like 10. And then my brother's probably like 15. And then my mom, and it's like between us, I feel like my whole childhood was pulling up this carpet to get this beautiful floor. And the floor was, it was like, you know, the layers of the insulation padding and just dust. And then by the time we actually got to the floor, oh, and also the nail, the nail sticking up to keep it down. And then by the time we get to this allegedly beautiful parquet floor, it was like rotten underneath, you know? <laughs> so there were patches, there would be like patches of beautiful parquet floor. And then it would be like around the edges, you know, like just like dusty, rotten, you know, and it would, you would see the concrete from the like base layer. So it was. Okay. Okay. So I have one more question. Okay. So mm -hmm. aligning that there are layers there, there were, there's a rug mm -hmm. and underneath there was the floor. As you transition from rich life to being closer to who you are, do you feel like some layers were removed and something shinier came out of it? Ooh, that's such a good question. I think I'm still working through that, honestly. You know, I'm still finding, and it's like, of course, but it, it's not even necessarily shinier. It's learning to appreciate that you thought that those parquet floors were gonna be everything and beautiful. And actually they're rotten, but you know what? That's got a character. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, a little, it's a little charming. It's a fun story. 
Wow. Okay, Stephanie, that's all I have to ask. Okay, well, well now it's your turn, Kate. You have a question for Don. I do. So Don, as I've told you before, vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, I am such, the, one of the first shows I saw at the Marsh was your show East 14. And is it East, what's the full name of it? It's East is 14, it? True Tales of a Reluctant Player, but it's chopped down to East 14th now. That's all I say. So East 14th, and that story inspired me. So that was the first show of yours, but it inspired me to, you know, write about my family, write about uh, stuff that I've been through. And I'm curious, was that the first show that you've done that was like a full solo show? Yeah, I dove all the way into it. I'd been in entertainment for years, so I was able to watch people up close, uh, big productions, working on productions as an audience warm-up. So I saw whole productions of half-hour shows done. I'd written for half-hour shows and been on staff as a creative consultant. So when I dove in, I had a lot of, of tools to pull on. So um, at one point, uh, a guy told me, I was at NBC uh, co-running the voiceover division, uh, with this guy named Mark Rappaport. And he said he was doing a one-man show. Uh, and could I um, hook him up with a friend I knew from the HBO workspace? So I got him in the HBO workspace. And then um, he said, I said, what's your show about? He said, his show is, he said, it's about my Jewish parents being on my back about, you know, why am I always trying to have creative jobs when I get a real solid, solid job? Uh, he said, uh, so yeah, that happened. I grew up in, in the 80s. He said, what happened in your life? I said, well, I grew up in the 70s. My stepfather uh, made us be Jehovah's Witnesses and my real father was a pimp. He said, you need to do a show about that, right? <laughs> but I was afraid to do it. That was 99. I didn't write the show until 2006. But when I did, I did little increments every week at this uh, spot, storytelling spot. And then I just started claiming, okay, I'm going to do it to Stella Adler next. Did it there five months. I'm doing it off-Broadway. Did it off-Broadway. I really want to do it in the Bay Area. Wonderful Stephanie Marsh. Here's a home for you, bam. And so that's how it all came about. Just, But I was afraid for a long time, many years. Okay, so now that we've asked each other those questions, is there anybody in the audience that wants to turn their video on, go like this and ask Don or Kate a question? Oh, Kate is Mary, 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 you, yeah, I love seeing all the people that, in the audience that I know. Mary, Connor, Carson, do you have a question? Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, Stephanie. Well, I'm a big fan of Dawn's. I love to show. Um, and, and I've never seen Kate, but um, Kate, I would like to ask you to imitate your mother telling you what she thinks about you doing comedy. <laughs> well, um. I mean, my, first of all, I'm not very amused. I don't think it's very funny for you to be airing your dirty laundry out uh, like that for people. Um, you, and okay, I just have to say that my mom fell asleep on the front row of my view at the marsh. And I go I, afterwards, I was like, mom, you fell asleep. She goes, well, Katie, I heard it all before. I, I heard you say this stuff. And then recently, um, I started dating someone who's younger than me. And I told my mom, I said, I'm so worried that every man I date is going to leave me for someone younger. And my mom goes, well, Katie, you know, your father left me for an older woman. So older or younger, they can always leave you. <laughs> and 
she's just she's just so but like she's like that's right to you you know does she live in texas still she does she's never left and when i was married and i wrote ain't that rich and i was living the my mom even to this day i'll say something I, you know life is hard she's like katie nobody feels bad for you you know and i'm like not one people she's like you're married to someone rich you're beautiful you're blonde. like i don't feel bad for you stop <laughs> talking so much and listen <laughs> what fabulous fodder your mom <laughs> Thank you can you. Call her. She, if you want to listen to my mom, she's actually a radio, a morning radio DJ at 1600 AM, your hometown radio station, KOGT.com. Okay. I'm going to plug her. And so the reason this week I was trying wow. to tell her about my problems and she goes, Katie, we have feral hogs taking over the whole county. <laughs> and I was like, mom, they're cute. She goes, they're 300 to 400 pounds. They've been here since the Spanish came. And they're taking over our whole county. <laughs> like, look them up. You know what they look like. And they're uh, they're like these huge, they're, I mean, but so everything that I've ever done, she's like, there's wild ponies on the loose in orange. We got, I can't talk to you right now. <laughs> a piglet is on the loose. The police are trying to apprehend him. And so, yeah, she's, uh, and she'll, she'll accept calls. So like her radio station, they do the trading post and the trading post is one of my favorite segments because people in my hometown will call and say what they want to trade. <laughs> it's like <laughs> who are only on AM radio. So she would love to talk to you, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I might just do that. Thank you. Thank you both. <laughs> so we just have time for, one or two more questions and i see that amy zins renee do you have a question too amy go ahead okay hey thank you um kate and uh don and stephanie so much for these they're awesome don hey. i remember Hi. um Hey, Don. I remember, um, I was actually, I remember so distinctly driving across the Bay Bridge when I heard you telling the story about when you worked at the Jewish Old People's Home. Yes. When you were going to UCLA. And it actually, I think I remember texting you at the time that you made me cry and I almost never wear makeup and I was on my way to a wedding. Oh, um, man. Anyway, but, uh, and, and, uh, but um, it was such a beautiful story. Is that a part of one of your stage shows? Or are you going to ever write a show um, in more depth about that time? Yeah, you know, there's actually an entire show that I've done at the Marsh before. It's called the Kipling Hotel. And it's a full 90 minute show. Um, and um, there were uh, about, there was a, a, a solid Jewish community lived in the place, but it was really diverse. There were old black men, um, people from the East, just all kind of folks. But the closest older friend I got, close to, there were three people who I was really close to. There was a guy named, uh, I called him 231, cause he called me, hey you. And I called him by his room number, uh, old Russian guy. And then an old black guy that reminded me of my grandfather named, um, his name was uh, um, uh, uh, Sam. And Sam was like, oh, oh yeah. I got a story for you. You ain't gonna believe it, but you ever heard of you ever heard of Lena Horn? Oh yeah, me and Lena Horn. Oh yes, we did something. I, I can't tell you about it. Don't tell nobody. But me and Lena Horn. Oh, 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 oh. And then the the guy who I got closest to, his name was George. 
about 5'3", with a little dead finger. I got a situation done. I got a situation, okay? Hear me out, okay? You're a smart guy. I wanna know if you think it's a good idea what I'm about to do, okay? There's a guy who sits in my seat every day. Every day he just drops in my seat. This guy's giving me the spilkas. This guy is not a mensch. He's an asshole, okay? And what he does is he sits in my seat every day. I'm thinking about doing something. I wanna know if you think it's a good idea, okay, Don? I'm thinking of going up behind him and stabbing him in the back of the head with a fucking fork. You think that's a good idea, Don? Because I'm gonna do it, okay? okay? So that was uh, George, but those folks, that show is called The Kipling Hotel. And uh, some shining things are happening with that right now. Um, but it was that show and, and, and it's taught me so much. And that's why sometimes I'll be at a party and I'll gravitate to the wise. You know, some people, our society does not give the kudos and the shine to uh, the elderly properly. And, but you'll see me like, like, Don, why'd you stop and for 30 minutes to talk to him? I said, cause I know they got the goods. They got the goods. That's it. Oh, All I'm right. so sorry I missed that show. Uh, Stephanie, Don, any chance to bring you back before the shiny thing happens with us? Uh, yeah, um, there's a, for sh um, I know I want to bring it back live. I don't know how much I'll do on stream, but I know I'll bring it back live because we're coming back. We're coming back, people, everybody out there, believe. Yay. We are. Okay, so Renee Wilson, who I'm going to unmute. And while I'm unmuting here, I want to give a shout out. You know, there's a ton of people watching on YouTube too. Hello, YouTube people. Thank YouTube, you for joining us. You. Oh, ooh, what did I? Uh oh, I made a mistake. Hold on. What happened to Renee? Did I? I think you un. I did something wrong. So I think you disabled me. Can you believe it? What? Hey, Brian, help. Okay, there hey. I am. Hi, Renee. <laughs> hey, Renee, how's it going? Hi. You guys, she's a killer. It's going great, Don. How are you? She, she's a real deal herself. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. And Kate, and you, I'm, I'm both, I'm a huge fan of you both. Uh, you guys are hilarious Excellent. and smart and funny. And, um, and so I just wanted to know how you're doing and also like what is inspiring you right now in your art and in your work? Um, yeah. Are you, um, you want Kate to go first or you would like me to go first? I mean, you're here. You can go first. Okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> I have, um, you know, in, in, in spite of the fact that there's uh, a lot of uh, darkness attached to what's going on, uh, it's been creatively a flourishing time for me. Uh, I'm really into isolation when I write. So this time in isolation, I really dug in. And some, a lot, a number of things that I intended to finish, intended to finish, I'm finishing them one after another. So when this thing yeah. is over, it'll be great. Uh, now, I pivoted because uh, I've had a, a, an interesting uh, background in entertainment advertising. Uh, when I was at NBC, I promoted Seinfeld, Fringe, Frasier, um, all the shows, Night Show, Saturday Night Live, creating taglines and promos for movies and TV shows that the voiceover guy says on air, radio, mm. or that we have on billboards. So I pivoted, worked towards that, and it's about getting it ramped back up, but it uh, got a nice jump when I got a uh, writer-performer deal with TBS in February before it all started. And uh, that is COVID-free work where I never even have to show up. I just create all the content <laughs> and send it to them. Uh, Call it Cooties 19. We're going to beat this Cooties 19. <laughs> but that's what I've been doing uh, to, uh, to pivot for uh, financial impact as well as creative impact. Mm. 
And that's great. Well, hey. there's all that. Okay. Well, and Renee, as you know, I'm also a huge fan of yours as well. And Thank I miss you. I have been having highs and lows. I, you know, when I moved to New York, I got really involved in the stand-up scene and have been doing it, you know, and it's just, I miss the human contact in the early days of quarantine. My apartment is so tiny. And I was, I was like, this is the longest in my life I've gone without hugging someone without, you know, contact. And cause I was yeah. in just pure isolation. Uh, but I'm doing a little better. I wrote for the, I wrote the shorty awards again the 2020 Shorty Awards, which aired online instead of on um, at the PlayStation Theater in Times Square. And then I'm writing for Meet Cute, which is audio short plays um, on like Spotify, anywhere you can get your podcast. So it's like little 15 minute um, happy ending Meet Cute stories or happy for now that I've been writing. And, um, you know, doing the it's 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 a struggle because I have so many different jobs that keep me afloat. And a lot of those are not happening right now, but I'm working to keep myself positive, staying in touch with friends. So thank you for asking. And I'm grateful for Stephanie and the Marsh family and community that's brought me Dawn and you and so many other wonderful people because you know we're in this together. It's a community. And all the Peter viewers and patrons, yeah. Well, okay, I think it's past our time. This has been wonderful. I want to let you know that you can tell your friends that we're rebroadcasting this show tomorrow at five o'clock and come see the rest of our shows every night at 7.30. Support us with a tip or become a member or give a donation. And we're so happy that I am so happy to be with you all right now on this Saturday night. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Don and Kate. Thank you, community. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.